time to act is, is now. Not later, not someday, right here, right now. Yes, yeah, as you. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. On the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, the iTunes. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, I am your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Joining you once again, thank you for joining me and spending a portion of your day with us, uh, or day or night with us today. We've got so much show, you may need to wrap up some of it into a bag and uh, enjoy some tomorrow. I don't know. It's a, a big show. Things are, uh, are kind of blowing up uh, today in regard to what we have been covering over the past uh, almost a week now concerning the gubernatorial race in Kentucky concerns about those uh, about those results where the uh, Democrat was set to win and ended up losing in a landslide. And yet no one has bothered to actually count the ballots. They're just relying on uh, oft failed, easily manipulated computer counts of those paper ballots in uh, in Kentucky and uh, got some some amazing reaction over the past uh Oh, let's say 24 hours. Uh, some amazing reaction that I've gotten from uh, some people, from some uh, progressives, actually. I'll talk about that in a little bit. An amazing development in Kentucky itself concerning uh, one of the pollsters in that race who had predicted that Democrat Jack Conway uh, would defeat Republican Matt Bevins, only to learn afterwards that the at least the computer-reported results tell us that the Republican Matt Bevin won. Uh, so an amazing development, I think, uh, there. And, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but a lot of people are, are, well, a lot more people in any event are paying attention to this story. Uh, I was on uh, my friend Tom Hartman's show talking about it uh, earlier today. So uh, we will get to that. We will get to all of those new developments. But uh, breaking uh, some breaking news today on the Keystone XL pipeline. Now, uh, Desi Doyen. Hi, Desi Doyen. Our Hello. producer, Desi Doyen, and uh, the uh, managing editor of our Green News Report. Des, I knew something was up on this a few days ago. The day that this started, uh, and we talked about it on this show. 
that everybody was saying originally, well, uh, TransCanada, the owner of the Keystone XL pipeline that would ship dirty tar sands oil from the tar sands oil fields of Alberta, Canada, down to the Gulf of Canada, out Gulf of Mexico. What did I say? Gulf, Gulf of, of Canada. Canada. Gulf of Mexico. Right. Across the Midwest. We have to start today's to show completely over. <laughs> the Gulf of no, Mexico. Down to the Gulf of Mexico and then ship that oil out to other people. Not even uh, not even to us. Uh, not even for use really here in the U.S. What, the day that uh, it happened that TransCanada had made this unusual request to the Obama administration, to the State Department, to say, hey, we don't want, uh, never mind, never mind that whole approval process thing that we've been spending millions on, we've been working uh, for years on, uh, never mind that, we, we don't want you to make your final decision. When that came out, I knew something was up, because I've got one of these apps on my uh, smartphone, my iPhone, uh, an AP app, which, you know, sends out headlines, breaking news headlines. AP put out the breaking news that TransCanada... And I don't have the exact words here, but the 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 headline was uh, Trans Canada stops review of the Keystone XL pipeline, or they stop their uh, uh, re review request from the Obama administration, something like that. And then just seconds later, there was a correction issued by AP over the the same iPhone headline, and it says correction. TransCanada asking the Obama administration to stop the review. In other words, they hadn't stopped their application. They were asking the State Department to, hey, please don't make a decision. Please right. stop. So somehow someone got to them, uh, I guess at TransCanada or the administration, and said, no, 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 they, TransCanada, cannot stop this on their own. It's not up to them. It's up to us at the State Department where they have applied and uh, requested this uh, approval to run this pipeline from Canada down to the U.S. So I knew something was up, and I thought, oh, well, you know, and all the media were announcing Keystone XL is dead. I said, maybe it's not dead. Maybe the, the Obama administration is going to continue the review process and then make their determination so that it can't be so easily picked up with the next president, as TransCanada was clearly trying to do. Right. And it looks like you were right. And it looks like that's what happened. Uh, today, President Obama came out and announced that uh, Senator John, not Senator, Secretary of State John Kerry at the State Department had made his decision and had... Uh, decided to not approve TransCanada's application, and uh, the president came out in a uh, in a uh, press conference press the White on, House uh, on Friday and said the following: This morning, Secretary Kerry informed me that after extensive public outreach and consultation with other cabinet agencies, the State Department has decided that the Keystone XL pipeline would not serve the national interests of the United States. I agree with that decision. For years, the Keystone Pipeline has occupied what I frankly consider an overinflated role in our political discourse. It became a symbol too often used as a campaign cudgel by both parties rather than a serious policy matter. And all of this obscured the fact that this pipeline would neither be a silver bullet for the economy, as was promised by some, uh, nor the express lane to climate disaster proclaimed by others. So that's it. Now the Keystone XL pipeline really 
really is dead, at least until there's another president and uh, TransCanada, I guess, could try to apply again. Yes, they have the option to reapply, but then they would have to reapply and go through the entire process all over again. Mm -hmm. So that would uh, essentially mean that they'd have to come up with something different in their application because otherwise the State Department can just say, look, we already took this application. We already got rid of it. So... The, the president gave at least four arguments as to why he was not approving this. Uh, and we'll play those in a minute. But Desi Doyen, uh, this issue played an overinflated role in our politics. It was used as a campaign cudgel by both parties. Uh, do you agree with the president on that assessment? You are, after all, our expert on Keystone XL. You have been covering this now uh, on the Green News Report and on this show for years. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I disagree with the president that it was something that shouldn't have been a partisan political cudgel. Yeah, it did become almost a purely political uh, uh, tool mm -hmm. that was used by both sides. Uh, one had the facts on their side, which would be the environmentalists who <laughs> right. criticized the uh, the outsized, completely mythological jobs claims that the supporters were putting forth. But, I, I, you know, I disagree with them on the political part of it. But, yeah, it did become that. Well, I think what he was trying to say there that that, uh, you know, uh, so much of the uh, this tar sands, this filthy, dirty tar sands oil is going to be extracted anyway and sent out, if not by pipeline uh, down to us, then by train, truck, other methods. Uh, so it won't stop those tar sands from being exploited simply because we're not approving the, the pipeline. Correct? That's right. But it does help to curb the exploitation of the tar sands because without an easy and cheap, this is a big deal, cheap way of getting it out to foreign markets, that forces Canada to uh, to find other ways to do so. And they are having a great deal of difficulty in Canada with getting new pipelines out to the foreign markets. Because nobody sands. wants these uh, this, this dirty tar sands oil, which is different than regular uh, crude oil. Nobody really knows how to clean it up. Nobody wants these... Uh, this t these pipelines over their lands, over their aquifers, their you know drinking water, their farmlands, and so forth. All right, uh, I want to get into. You had mentioned the jobs, the jobs claims, the ridiculous, frankly ridiculous jobs claims. Uh, guys like uh, Speaker Paul Ryan, our new uh, Congressman uh, Speaker from uh, Wisconsin, he called the decision quote sickening. Talk about overinflated uh, role. Sickening. And he said that Obama is squashing, quote, tens of thousands of good paying jobs. Really? We'll talk about that in a second. Here's more from the president on his reasons why uh, he was nixing this pipeline. First, the pipeline would not make a meaningful long term contribution to our economy. So if Congress is serious about uh, wanting to create jobs, this was not the way to do it. Uh, if they want to do it, what we should be doing is passing a bipartisan infrastructure plan that in the short term could create more than 30 times as many jobs per year as the pipeline would, and in the long run would benefit our economy and our workers for decades to come. Well, that'd be a good idea. Second, the pipeline would not lower gas prices for American consumers. In fact, gas prices have already been falling steadily. So while our politics have been consumed by a debate over whether or not this pipeline would create jobs and lower gas prices, we've gone ahead and created jobs and lowered gas prices. Third, 
shipping dirtier crude oil into our country would not increase America's energy security. What has increased America's energy security is our strategy over the past several years to reduce our reliance on dirty fossil fuels from unstable parts of the world. Three years ago, I set a goal to cut our oil imports in half by 2020. Between producing more oil here at home and using less oil throughout our economy, we met that goal last year, five years early. In fact, for the first time in two decades, the United States of America now produces more oil than we buy from other countries. Now, the truth is, the United States will continue to rely on oil and gas as we transition, as we must transition, to a clean energy economy. That transition will take some time. But it's also going more quickly than many anticipated. Our biggest and most successful businesses are going all in on clean energy. And thanks in part to the investments we've made, there are already parts of America where clean power from the wind or the sun is finally cheaper than dirtier conventional power. The point is, the old rules said we couldn't promote economic growth and protect our environment at the same time. The old rules said we couldn't transition to clean energy without squeezing businesses and consumers. But this is America, and we have come up with new ways and new technologies to break down the old rules. Once again, that was President Obama at the White House today, uh, uh, giving his reasons for rejecting the uh, application from TransCanada to permit the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. All right, Desi Doyen, uh, basically four points, four things he spoke to, four talking points right. it wouldn't from help the, uh, the economy. proponents. It wouldn't help the economy. It wouldn't lower gas prices. Uh, clean energy is booming. And, of course, the other part of that is that the U.S. is producing more domestic oil than ever before. So that's sort of energy a trade-off Energy security, there. that we don't need this project for energy security. Proponents right. uh, of the <laughs> job, I love this role call points out uh, proponents once claimed that the Keystone XL pipeline would deliver more than 100,000 jobs which is of course not true right at this... best it was going to be 2,500 jobs uh, during the construction phase and then only 35 permanent jobs once the Keystone XL pipeline was up and running so a few thousand temporary jobs 35 35 permanent jobs not the hundred thousand not at all not uh, even close and not the uh the tens of thousands that speaker paul ryan uh claimed today those were just not true and that came from uh the trans canada themselves they admitted it the state department who otherwise said you know what this uh it won't have a huge effect on the environment. They also found that uh, it would only be 35 permanent jobs. That's true. They found it would only be 35 permanent jobs. But when they were referring to the impact of the Keystone XL pipeline on the climate, that was based on the State Department's assessment that the tar sands would be developed no matter what. And this is not turning out to be true. It is turning out that by the fight against the Keystone XL pipeline and against other pipelines in Canada, that the tar sands are not developing as quickly as much as the State Department estimated. So in that respect, even though that's what the State Department predicted, 
they were wrong. One of the other things proponents have said, that it will lower gas prices. Uh, all of this uh, crude coming in via the pipeline, why would that not lower gas prices for uh, all, everyone here in America, Des? Because oil is sold on the global market. So having uh, this additional amount of oil on the global market would generally lower oil prices, but it would not lower oil prices for folks in the Midwest. And that has to do with, uh, with a glut of oil being stored in Cushing, Oklahoma. This Keystone XL pipeline would have helped relieve that glut. Without a glut, you can raise prices. So that's that's how all of that would have unfolded had the Keystone XL pipeline been actually built. Now, the president did mention one big final number four reason for rejecting the pipeline, and that was U.S. leadership globally on climate change. America is now a global leader when it comes to taking serious action to fight climate change. And frankly, approving this project would have undercut that global leadership. And that's the biggest risk we face. Not acting. Today, we're continuing to lead by example. Because ultimately, if we're going to prevent large parts of this earth from becoming not only inhospitable, but uninhabitable in our lifetimes, uninhabitable, we're going to have to keep some fossil fuels in the ground rather than burn them and release more dangerous pollution into the sky. As long as I'm President of the United States, America is going to hold ourselves to the same high standards to which we hold the rest of the world. And three weeks from now, I look forward to joining my fellow world leaders in Paris, where we've got to come together around an ambitious framework to protect the one planet that we've got while we still can. If we want to prevent the worst effects of climate change before it's too late, the time to act is, is now. Not later, not someday. Right here, right now. Uninhabitable, he says. Uh, you you highlighted that, Desi Joyen. Yeah, Joyan. I think that's a pretty big deal for the president of the United States to come right out and say, hey, our studies are showing that if we keep going with business as usual, we will render parts of the planet uninhabitable. Well, uh, the folks at the Heartland Institute disagree with you and the president, Desi Doyen. Shocker. Uh, these are, of course, uh, the uh, top of the line, top, uh, excellent uh, climate change deniers, the world class, leading, world class leading deniers uh, at the Heartland Institute, funded in no small part by the Koch brothers, I believe. Yep. Exxon Mobil and those guys who are now being investigated for having known about climate change, but funded, funded climate the change Heartland denial. Institute and others. Yeah. Uh, their vice president, James Taylor, not the singer songwriter James Taylor, but their vice president over at Heartland Institute uh, <clears throat> gave us this statement. Uh, president Obama has once again proven that he will sell out the well-being of the American people to appease the environmental extremism industry. I guess he's talking about you, Des. I guess so. uh, He called it a face slap to our Canadian neighbors. Our Canadian neighbors, of course, uh, include uh, Justin Trudeau, the, uh, uh, the new prime minister up in Canada, who said, yeah, this isn't worth uh, fighting about, and the new premier of Alberta, Canada, where the tar sands are, who says, yeah, we kind of need to move away from all of this fossil fuel stuff. Yeah. President Obama mentioned that he spoke with Prime Minister Trudeau uh, before making this public announcement, and they both agreed that they have a very close friendship and that this is fine. This is not a big deal. No, no. It's a face slap. And, says Hartland, uh, and President Obama would rather sacrifice American jobs, American energy security and American military 
Security yeah. says the heartland. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, overinflated uh, uh, roles and campaign cudgels. Not sure what he's referring to with the American military. Are we planning on invading Canada for their tar sands? Well, or something? no, because this only means we've got to go have more foreign wars because we're not oh. enjoying all of this uh, tar sands oil. That's coming right. From, You're right. I forgot. The yeah. sun doesn't shine here. The wind doesn't blow here. We have no other options for energy than oil. Well, and also we have other options other than pipelines. We can, we can bring it down by train and truck and so forth, and we are so the idea that we had to go to war is ridiculous uh one more uh, point here from uh this is uh, misha popoff policy advisor at the heartland institute <laughs> the overinflated role he says it's the end of an era an era in which everyone thought that even a community organizer like obama would sooner or later see the merit in building this pipeline jfk and lbj are rolling over in their graves. What? I know. (laughs) Putin, on the other hand, is rubbing his hands together, as are the mullahs in Iran. Boy, you could just hear them twirling their mustaches, I guess. Not overinflated at all. Well, I just want to mention a couple of other things. Uh, The State Department noted that it got... Five million public comments on this. So that was part of the reason why they felt like, I think, that they had the political cover with the American people to make this decision. Also, notice that Obama announced this rejection of the Keystone XL on live television in the middle of a Friday. He did not relegate this to a Friday night document dump. This was something that he wanted to get on the major news news TV shows, and he's going to achieve that. Because he was sending a, a message to Putin and the mullahs to rub their hands together. <laughs> Kudos. Uh, we, we mentioned this, uh, I think, yesterday, but we should mention it again. Kudos to all of the activists and organizers. Whether you agree or not, uh, this, once again, underscores that you can take on the most powerful interests in the whole wide world if you get together, if you organize, if you get your facts straight. Uh, so, you know, kudos to all of those who wrote about, who organized, who marched, who protested, who got arrested in the effort to raise awareness and, and to stop what they saw, uh, frankly, truly or not, as an environmental threat. They believed that it was and uh, they made their case out, uh, you know, in public. And also some fantastic uh, scientists, former NASA scientist James Hansen, I think, deserves a lot of credit here for sounding the alarm bell, not only about global warming back in the uh, uh, late 80s, but when it came to these tar sands oil and the pipeline, he said if this is fully, uh, uh, what did it, was the quote, if this is fully utilized, exploited. It'll be game over for the climate. Game over for the climate. Uh, so that was James Hansen and uh, former journal, and, and he went from being a NASA scientist to being an activist to try to get the word out about this. And former journalist, also turned activist, Bill McKid- Bill McKibben, over at 350.org, and all of those folks, I think, deserve great uh, great kudos here as well. Yes, and and some comment from Bill McKibben. He came right out and said. This is wonderful. The Keystone XL pipeline defeat is, quote, one goal in a game, and we are way behind. So Bill McKibben is going forward with saying, okay, great. This is one thing we have achieved. We have to keep the pressure on. And that pretty much is where it goes next. Next, Obama goes to Paris to the United Nations final treaty climate, uh, climate treaty negotiations in December. That starts in three weeks. And he announced that he is going to go there personally, and that's the first time he has confirmed that when he made 
made that announcement on the Keystone XL pipeline. So there's that. And also for environmental groups, they are pretty much all saying, okay, this, this could be the turning point. From now on, however, all major government infrastructure decisions really do need to be made through the lens of climate change, as in all new major infrastructure investments should be looked at for their impact on climate change, helping us adapt to climate change, helping us mitigate our emissions and build resilience for what's to come. And that's a lot to come. So we'll we'll see if the fight looms to keep all of the fossil fuels in the ground. The fight will continue even as JFK and LBJ for some reason are rolling over in their graves. Uh, Thank you for your uh, great coverage on this Desi Doyen for so many years for bringing this to my attention. When we started covering this, I think people had no idea what Keystone XL was. Well, they do now, and uh, it has helped to enlighten a lot of people, and who knows, maybe even save a world that very much needs saving. All right, speaking of saving the world, we're going to take a quick break and return and return uh, back to the uh, great state, the bluegrass state, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Well, he was fired. That's the good news. The bad news is they're still not counting our votes. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why it is so controversial to even raise that point. I should say I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised because this has been happening for more than a decade as I have been covering issues of election integrity. It continues to happen today when you when you raise the outrageous question of, hey, you got those ballots. Why don't you count them? It makes people crazy. Uh, and so uh, I'll get to uh, some of the attacks that I've, uh, I've I've enjoyed this week from people who are otherwise progressives. And you would think they would uh, otherwise, you know, go along with the idea that we have paper ballots in the case of Kentucky. We should count them. In any event, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We have been talking about uh, the uh, the last Tuesday's election. And the surprise defeat of Democrat Jack Conway, who was running for governor in Kentucky following a, uh, a popular Democratic governor in the state of Kentucky, leading in all of the pre-election polls by about five points, anywhere from uh, three to five points, about an average of uh, three points in all of those polls, <clears throat> about five different polls over the past month or so. And then he ended up losing 
by nine points, according to the results reported from the optical scan computers and the touchscreen computers that they use across uh, Kentucky. Thankfully, mostly uh, paper ballots, hand-marked paper ballots, but... People don't really understand. When I talk about this issue, a lot of times I hear, we need paper ballots. We need paper ballots. They've got paper ballots. They've got paper ballots in Kentucky. They just don't count them. Now, they used to have touchscreens, and they have moved uh, over the past few years, due in no small part to the hell that we have been raising here and on bradblog.com and all the other election integrity advocates to point out that those touchscreen systems are 100% unverifiable. You can never verify any vote that has been cast on one of those systems as actually reflecting uh, the intent of the voter. But you can, with a paper ballot system, you can verify those votes, but only if you bother to verify them, only if you bother to actually count them. And dirty little secret in most states, none of those ballots are verified whatsoever. None of them are actually counted by human beings. And that was the case again over the past week in Kentucky, despite the fact that you had these anomalous results where it looked like the Democrat uh, was going to win and then he ends up losing to a very unpopular Republican by a landslide. You would think that Democrats and progressives would want to count those votes to just make sure that they actually really did lose that race, and they very well might have. Despite the fact that uh, lower down on the ballot in the secretary of state's race, in the auditor's race, in the attorney general's race, the Democrat in each of those cases in the down ticket races received more votes than the guy at the top of the ticket, than Jack Conway, the popular attorney general running to uh, uh, replace the term limited uh, governor. Uh, but... Uh, for some reason, even bringing up that point, even saying, hey, why don't we count that ball those ballots? This drives uh, people crazy. And this makes people charge me as being a conspiracy theorist. Now, I could point to actual criminal conspiracies. And actually, even in the state of Kentucky, I talked about this a little earlier today on, on Tom Hartman's program about uh, the top election officials in Clay County, Kentucky, who were uh, arrested and charged and convicted back in 2009 of gaming elections, of election fraud, insiders, the county clerk, the district court judge, the school superintendent, all these mem members of the election board in Clay County, Kentucky, who were arrested and charged with election fraud, with buying and selling votes and, yes, manipulating electronic voting systems in Clay County, Kentucky. They were uh, sentenced to collectively 156 years in prison for doing so. Just a few years back. An actual criminal conspiracy. So, yes, it does happen. In this case, I'm not charging that there is any criminal conspiracy. I don't know. And neither do those Democrats like the Democrats who I spoke with yesterday at the state Democratic Party who said, well, Jack Conway lost. Democrats lost. They don't know that. They don't know that. They're basing it on these uh, optical scan systems, which are easily gamed and often simply just fail. 
just fail to tabulate votes correctly. One never knows until one bothers to count those votes. So that's all we've done is called for, hey, why don't we count those votes? Incredibly, uh, well, uh, not incredibly, this happens all the time whenever I point this out. I was uh, got, got some fun tweets last night from a fella, from several people, one by the name of Joe Sanka, who is a, uh, an expert, apparently, he tells us, in Kentucky politics. He writes over at InsiderLouisville.com, so he's a uh, Kentucky political insider, a hired gun, he calls himself. He sent a, uh, uh, the first of many tweets to myself and to uh, Carolee Coons, who I had on this program earlier uh, a few days ago. Uh, his tweet, You two should be pretty ashamed about riling people up with your completely uninformed conspiracy theory BS. Although he didn't say BS, he used another word that I can't say here on the air. I thought, well, what is the conspiracy uh, theory? Because I haven't put one forward. Uh, he said, uh, you should be looking uh, for those missing ballots underneath the grain in the pyramid. And I think it's a reference to Ben Carson, who says that apparently the pyramids were meant to store grain. And nobody told him that other than the burial chambers, those pyramids aren't actually hollow. They're not actually. You couldn't fill them with grain even if you wanted to. So he's putting us in the... Um, in the Ben Carson category for saying, hey, count the votes. And by the way, there are no missing ballots that I know of. They're not missing at all. So this guy who claims to be a progressive, progressive uh, political writer didn't even bother, apparently, to look at the case that we were making before he said, uh, you conspiracy theorists, you should be ashamed of yourself, ashamed of yourself for wanting ballots to be counted, publicly counted so that the winners and the losers could all know who actually won and who actually lost, and you could tell people like me to go to hell with these crazy arguments because, you know, you counted the ballots in front of people in a democracy. So it's amazing how touchy people get about this. Uh, anyway, it's not enough to vote on a paper ballot. Then you have to actually transparently count them, and then we can know what's what. But... Progressive uh, journalists apparently don't understand that. Uh, journalists as a whole don't understand that. And this is what uh, an incredible development here in this story. Uh, the Lexington Herald, uh, the Lexington Herald leader, uh, put out a, a note to readers on what they call the Bluegrass Poll. This is their poll that they do uh, with Survey USA. It's a well-respected poll. And the editor of the paper, Peter Baniak, Baniak, uh, Baniak, Baniak, yes, Baniak the Maniac, as they call him. I don't know that they call him there. I just <laughs> said that. Um, so he puts out this uh, paper, uh, this uh, note to readers following uh, the polling that they did. Now, the uh, Courier Journal poll, the, uh, I think this is theirs. The, well, the Survey USA poll. Um, Found that Conway, just days before the election, uh, found that Conway would win this election by five points. And instead, he ended up losing, and according to the uh, reported results, by nine. So that's a 13, 14-point swing in the polls. But they weren't. Survey USA wasn't the only one uh, to find that. Western Kentucky University found Conway by five. Mason Dixon, early in October, found Conway by two. And... 
all of those pollsters use independent polling methods to come to their uh, results. And they're generally transparent methods. They tell everyone how it works. They each use their own methodology. And they all came to essentially the same results. That Conway was going to win. Uh, it would be tight, but he was going to win instead of this landslide loss. Well, Peter Baniak, the editor of the Herald-Leader, puts out this note uh, to our readers. The wide gulf between the results of Tuesday's election races and the most recent bluegrass poll is a source of frustration for the Herald-Leader and its media partners, as well as our pollster, Survey USA, especially after a similarly huge difference in last fall's U.S. Senate race. Now, in that race, they predicted that uh, Majority Leader Senator, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell was going to win, but not by as much as he ended up actually winning, according to to the unverified computer results last year. Baniak goes on to say, as a result, we are rethinking our approach to election, election research and plan to make changes for future campaigns. Depending on how we proceed, we will, look for, we will look for a new research firm and no longer will use SurveyUSA. The Bluegrass Poll has long been an important public service that we have been proud to present because of the insights it provides into races and issues. But changes in the electorate, particularly in, Ken in Kentucky, have made polling more challenging, and such polls may no longer be the best way to gain an understanding of issues shaping voters' decisions. In other words, they are firing Survey USA, and they are saying pre-election polls may not be the best way to go about things. Maybe we shouldn't even take pre-election polls at all anymore. Baniak goes on to write, SurveyUSA has been a solid polling partner for us and many me other media organizations. After last fall's Senate race, SurveyUSA worked to adjust its methodology to accommodate the changing Kentucky electorate. In its defense, they say, we have heard that of all of the of all other polls conducted by candidates or others before Tuesday's election, none, none hinted at the wide margin. Matt Bevin, the Republican, would ultimately receive. So all of the other polls found the same thing, but they're firing their pollster anyway instead of asking themselves, huh, was the pollster wrong or, or are the reported results of the election wrong? Maybe we should try to find out. Maybe the one group of unverified numbers, that's the actual res uh, results from Election Day, maybe we should make sure, as journalists, that the computers got it correct, that they got it right. Maybe we should have human beings count those ballots. Baniak goes on to say, we recognize that the integrity of our news organizations depend on delivering useful information and insights, and we remain committed to ensuring that we do. Fine, Mr. Baniak, please. Go count the ballots. Make sure the results, as reported, are correct instead of firing your pollster. Now, we've invited uh, Peter Baniak on the show. We haven't heard back from him uh, yet uh, That's today, right. They have right? not yet responded to requests for comment or anything, actually. Well, we'll give them time. If they'd like to come on and explain this, I'd love to hear it. Because here's what seems to now be going on. <sighs> After 2000... Or, the 2000 election, it seems like uh, they discredited hand-marked paper ballots. They, we can't count those. We need computers to do it. And that is what got us into this entire electronic voting mess, frankly, over the past decade or so. 
Then came 2004 and the exit polls, the exit polls that are people coming out of the polling place all over the country that are, uh, you know, meant to tell us all kinds of things. And all over the world, we use them as a uh, as a check and balance against potential fraud. The exit polls told us John Kerry should have won in all of these swing states in 2004. And yet when the electronic results came back, oh, what do you know? George W. Bush won. Did we check those uh, results to make sure they were right? No, not really. We'll just presume the exit polls are wrong. So they began discrediting exit polls. So now we don't have that as a yardstick against the results. And then comes this. Oh, the polls. The polls in Kentucky must have been all wrong. The results are always right. Never mind that they've been verified by no one. The results are always right. It must be the polls that are wrong. So now the pre-election polls are wrong. The exit polls are wrong. And we are no longer allowed to oversee our own elections and our own uh, counting of the results because it all happens inside a computer. And when people try to do recounts, they are not allowed to do recounts. They sometimes run those paper ballots through the same computers. Or as we've had the uh, statistician Beth Clarkson from uh, Kansas on a few weeks ago, she has questions about the results of the 2014 race. She's trying to get access to the records from these electronic systems, and they're telling her, by law, Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State out there, says, by law, no, you can't look at those. We can't give you that information. You have questions about the results. You'd like to verify what happened last year when you had a similar situation. Sam Brownback, the governor, Republican governor out there, and the uh, Republican Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, both looked like they might not win, and they ended up winning in landslides. So you'd like to check that result? Sorry, you can't. Oh, and by the way, the polls are no good. The exit polls are no good. You have to trust us. It's a trust us democracy. That is not how democracy works. Democracy is about oversight and transparency. And this is the most important uh, element of our democracy. The right to vote is the one that protects all of the other rights. And it, uh, we, these are, you know, life and death uh, decisions, decisions about war, decisions in Kentucky about nearly half a million people who the Republican candidate had promised to throw off of their health care. He was going to get rid of the Obamacare Medicaid expansion in the state of Kentucky that almost half a million people are currently enjoying. They may now be thrown off those rolls. They may now lose their uh, access to health care, half a million people in Kentucky. So these things matter. Don't you think we should take the time to count them, to count the ballots, to find out if they got it right? Now, earlier, uh, I think it was last Monday, we had John Brakey, a great election integrity from the uh, great state of Arizona. He uh, he works uh, down in Pima County, Arizona. That's Tucson. And he was at the uh, pre-election uh, testing for their machines in uh, Pima County in Tucson, where uh, last Tuesday they had some eight hundred thousand dollars worth of bonds uh, up on uh, up for uh Initiatives. I think it was about seven or eight different initiatives on the ballot uh, for developers uh, who wanted to, you know, develop various things. They're going to borrow eight hundred thousand in, in bonds. Well, he was at the uh, pre-election testing, logic and accuracy testing, they call it, on the day prior to uh, prior to the election, 
and, or actually prior to the the counting of absentee ballots that was going to be in, begin a few days before. And, and members of both Republicans and Democratic parties were there to watch the testing. The testing went fine. And then John Brakey went home. And he was going to write a report about what he saw, and he turns on the webcam, and what do you know, there's an election official who is breaking into the server, an insider, an election official breaking in to the tabulator, the central tabulator, breaking the security seal after the parties have left, after the public testing is over. They're not supposed to do that. Thankfully, he was able to watch the security cameras and he caught them. And Brad Nelson, the election director in Pima County, admitted that, yes, yes, he wasn't supposed to do that. And yes, he was caught. Here's Brad Nelson, election director from Pima County, Arizona, telling KOLD, uh, yeah, that happened. That was a break in our usual protocol, but not illegal. That individual has been informed on what the proper procedure was, and that individual was actually with another individual at the same time, so he wasn't in there by himself. And all members who work in this room have been told and reinforced on what the protocol was. Now, Brad Nelson went on to say that... Uh uh, oh, nothing happened here. It was just the employee. He was zeroing out the server from the test ballots uh, after the uh, public testing. He was going in and, and zeroing them out before uh, the actual counting of actual ballots would begin. At least that was his explanation to uh, KOLD's uh, reporter. Now, inside the county room there at the election center, there's a webcam and anyone can watch. And a citizen took a picture of what he saw. It was a Pima County elections employee at an open computer server cabinet in the ballot county room after the system had been tested. Now, we're told the worker had gone into the cabinet yesterday to zero out the machine so real ballots could start to be counted today. Well, so that's fine. That's Allison Miller from KOLD. She accepts the uh, the description by Brad Nelson, uh, and that description may be true. The only problem is, as uh, John Brakey found out, uh, and as he noted, where is it here? Uh, do I have it? That uh, that was the claim. The claim was that they were just zeroing out the ballots after the testing. Uh, here we go. The only problem is that the uh, tabulation computer was zeroed out at 10.31 a.m., according to a, a report on the Pima County website. That's just after the logic and accuracy test. It was zeroed out at 10.30 a.m. The election worker that John Brakey saw breaking into the tabulation computer was at 3 o'clock p.m., 3.03 p.m., five hours later that day. So what was he doing in there? Why was he doing that? We don't know. And election uh, officials should not be breaking uh, into security seals. And Democratic and Republican uh, observers alike have no idea what they're looking at when they are observing these things because you can't see inside a computer and they don't and they're not computer scientists and they don't understand what the concerns are. Here was the Republican observer, Karen Shute, after she was told about the break-in. And by the way, they had to redo all the testing because of it. So uh, Karen Shute, I think, is the way you say her name. She was the Republican observer in, uh, in Pima County. Here was her response uh, to the break-in. And bear in mind, it was done prior to any ballots being tabulated, too. So it's not like there was any data in there that could have been manipulated at that point. Of course. There was nothing there. It was just test ballots. No, of course there is data. 
If you're going to game the computer, if you're going to tell it to read the ballots incorrectly to give you the results that are uh, you know shaved off here or there, that's how you do it. You would implant a computer program at that point before ballots are counted, but after the party observers have been in there to see that everything is on the up and up. They have no idea. That's the Republican observer, and the Democratic observer in this case was no smarter. I think people can have a great deal of confidence that the ballots are being counted correctly. They're all being counted. They'll be counted until the last ballot is done after the election. <sighs> no, you can't have confidence in a computer-tallied election unless you count the paper ballots yourself. Because computers get it right, computers get it wrong, computers can be gamed, computers simply fail. There is no way to know unless you count those ballots. So for those people who are mad at me for pointing it out, for those progressive journalists out there who tell me I should be ashamed of myself for pointing these things out, what the hell is wrong with you people? Don't you understand how this works, how this should work in a democracy? Again, I have no idea whether ballots were counted accurately or not in Kentucky. But neither do you. Neither do the voters of Kentucky. Neither, neither do the, uh, the editors of the uh, Herald Leader who have fired their pollster, their pollster who had the same results as all of the other pollsters. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to repeat it over and over and over again. But in Kentucky, count the ballots. And oh, by the way, down in Louisiana, they're having another governor's race in a few days. November 21, I think it is, a couple of weeks. Right now, the Democrat is leading by about 20 points. And if the Republican wins, will they say, oh, the pollsters, damn them, they got it wrong. And that Brad Friedman and his bradblog.com and his election integrity fr uh, friends, they can all go to hell. Is that what they'll say? Yeah, they probably will. And you know what I'll say? I don't give a damn. I'm still going to call out the bad guys and call out what's right and what's wrong. And what's right in this case is counting the goddamn ballots. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right. Yesterday, as today, <laughs> we're running late. Oh, uh, yeah. And we had uh, the Green News report yesterday. We did not even get to run because we ran so late with, in my interview with uh, David Roberts. Great interview, by the way. Go, go to bradblog.com and check it out uh, about the new McCarthyism in the U.S. House. But anyway, we didn't have time to play the Green News report, so we were going to play it today. But today's Green News report or yesterday's Green News report, is already kind of out of date. But that's okay. We'll play it anyway. It? All right, yeah. we'll play it anyway. It's kind of out of date because, to repeat our top story today, President Barack Obama has finally, once and for all, rejected TransCanada's application for the Keystone XL pipeline, which he had not yet done during uh, yesterday's Green News report. A good profit is profit that becomes from contributing to society. Koch brothers claim they are environmental stewards. It is said if you find yourself in a hole, quit digging. New legislation to stop all fossil fuel extraction on public lands. More bad news for Volkswagen. Plus, we have told TransCanada that the review process is going to continue. 
U.S. State Department rejects TransCanada's request for a pause on the Keystone XL pipeline. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I tried to jump in. I said, Jake, you want a skeptic? I'm right here. Oh, did Jake ignore you, Ted Cruz? So will we. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, TransCanada was trying to cancel, cancel the Keystone XL pipeline review, but now President Obama won't let them? Uh, That's right. They have been denied. The U.S. State (laughs) Department has rejected the request from TransCanada, the owner of the controversial proposed Keystone XL pipeline, to suspend its application for a cross-border permit. It was a request widely seen as an attempt to wait for a potentially friendlier administration. In rejecting the request, State Department spokesman John Kirby on Wednesday cited the time and money invested by several agencies and the millions of public comments received in the process. So all of this work, all of this money has been spent reviewing their application, and before it gets rejected, they want to stop the whole procedure. Yeah, it's like breaking up with somebody before they have a chance to break up with you. But in this case, Obama might say, no, no, I'm going to break up with you anyway. I'm going to reject your application and thus make it a little bit harder for uh, the next president to come along and approve it. That's right. That's exactly what he's doing. Well, that's fun. Meanwhile, scientists say that to prevent catastrophic climate change, 80% of the world's remaining fossil fuel reserves must remain in the ground unburned. And to that end, Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon and Independent Senator and Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders of Vermont introduced the Keep It in the Ground bill in the U.S. Senate on Wednesday. It would prohibit all new leases to extract fossil fuels on public lands, not to reduce fossil fuels from public lands, but to eliminate them. In a press conference, Senator Merkley called it a crucial step to action on climate change. Let's take on this climate change challenge. Let's make our federal lands off limits and let's do the smart thing and keep it in the ground. The bill would also ban new offshore drilling in the Atlantic Ocean and in the Arctic and would help transition fossil fuel industry workers. The bill isn't likely to go anywhere in the Republican-controlled Senate, but as they say, it does begin the process of educating the American people about what we have to do. So what's it called again? The Keep It in the Ground bill. Kind of sounds like Keep It in Your Pants bill, but I won't mention that. Please don't. I won't. More bad news for Volkswagen. Remember, German automaker Volkswagen was caught red-handed last month using software to cheat U.S. emissions tests on as many as 11 million Volkswagen brand diesel cars since 2009. Now, this week, Volkswagen voluntarily has halted sales of its Porsche brand SUV in the United States after the Environmental Protection Agency said it found similar cheat software on those models. But wait, there's more. Volkswagen has also admitted this week that it underestimated the actual carbon dioxide emissions and fuel consumption in regulatory filings, affecting some 800,000 vehicles in Europe. Volkswagen says it deeply regrets this newest mistake. Doesn't anyone check their claims when when they make them, or is this completely self-regulated? Often, carmakers are allowed to submit their own tests for certification. Nothing like voluntary self-oversight. Finally, some fact-checking for MSNBC. 
In what I think is a fawning interview with billionaire Koch brother Charles Koch this week, the hosts of MSNBC's Morning Joe did not challenge the abysmal environmental record of the Koch brothers' businesses when Charles Koch claimed his idea of success includes protecting the environment. For a business, this means producing products and services that your customers value more than the alternatives while more efficiently using resources and and being among the safest and and environmentally uh, protective uh, uh, producer. For the record, Coke Industries is not among the safest and environmentally protective producers. Coke Industries has a long history of profiting from egregious violations of environmental laws. Coke Industries pled guilty for several massive toxic benzene releases in Texas and covered it up. They contaminated Oklahoma's groundwater with jet fuel and toxic oil wastewater and cheated Native Americans out of royalties from oil and gas on tribal lands. Other than that, the Cokes are fantastic, (laughs) totally responsible and great for the environment. Keep it in your pants. For much more on all of our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We are caught up in your love affair and we'll never be royals. Well, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Well, yes, indeedy. For yesterday's news today. <laughs> You're well welcome. Well done. All right. Well, thanks, of course, to Desi, our producer, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it as ever at bradblog.com along with any and all of our Bradcast episodes. You can stop by iTunes, get them there as well if you like, uh, and give us a good review while you're there. Help get the uh, help get the word out about the Bradcast and uh, put down these knuckleheads who are you know, challenging us, which we love, but refusing to come on the show and uh, talk about it. We'd love to have you. Brother. Anyway, uh, you can follow us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog, and of course, you can drop us email anytime, Bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, we'll see you again soon. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.